Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. just wondering you know sometimes it, i get it, i get uh, mixed mixed feedback because before church you hear all this rah, 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 rah. and then sometimes i get up here and you're like ah. so i just i'm just trying to figure you out just trying to figure you out amen if you'll stand with me today as you are standing as you are standing uh here this morning there is power hour here at the church this week on thursday from 7.30 to 8.30, and so that's Thursday, time of prayer, amen, those of you who miss men's breakfast this Saturday, we had a good time of fellowship and good food, and so just be mindful, though, this Thursday, power hour, also be remembering, if you will, remember um, me and my wife and uh, a team of people that's going to be in the Marysville, Ohio Reformatory Prison, Women's Prison in Ohio, uh, Friday and Saturday this coming week, and so just be mindful of that. Next Sunday, you're going to have a treat, Brother Mason, a.m. and p.m. We'll be ministering the word of the Lord in AM and PM service. And so uh, be something to look forward to. NYC is right around the corner uh, for the young kids. So you can be praying about that as well. And uh, so we're going to have a good, good time in the house of the Lord in the coming up months in November and December. Times of eating, times of celebration, times of remembering the birth of Christ and thankful for everything that he has done in our lives. Amen. Going to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 this morning just going to do a little teaching here today, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, I'm going to read verse 19, we'll also be reading 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16, and I'll be mindful of our time today with the other things that are to go on uh, here this morning. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 19, the Bible says, to wit that God was in Christ, everybody say that, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto him self not imputing their trespasses into them and have committed unto us the word of reconciliation the word of reconciliation first timothy 3 and verse number 16 and just as a heads up this morning it might be good if you have a bible i hope you still bring your bible to church but if you have a bible you might want to leave it on your lap today because there's a lot of scriptures i told brother zach i said you didn't even get half of them and it was a lot that he got. And so I wasn't even going to make him try to even enter all of them. So come about halfway midpoint. If it's not coming on the screen, it's because I didn't give it to him. So that's where let your fingers do the walking. I know that's yellow pages, but it's the white and black pages today and the red, red letters of Jesus. Amen. So also in 1 Timothy 3 and verse number 16, the Bible says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into 
glory. I'm just going to talk, teach really a little bit this morning on the Godhead today. I'm going to teach just a little bit on the Godhead here this morning. If we can ask God to help us in the next few moments. Father, I come to you today. Lord, so grateful, Lord, to be in your house, Lord Jesus, with your people. I pray, oh Lord, that you're able to touch each and every need, God, that is represented in this place this morning. God, you know who they are, what they are, and what their need is. I pray, Lord, today that you're able to help us, Lord God, to dive into your scriptures, Lord. We know, God, that there is a life, God, that are in these words of heaven. I pray, oh Lord, today, God, bring a spirit of revelation, enlightenment, God, upon our minds. We will not fail, Lord, to thank you or praise you, oh Lord, for what you say and for what you do, Lord Jesus, in this place. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Everybody say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning in the lovely name of Jesus. I want to talk about the Godhead just a little bit today. We touch these uh, subject matters from time to time. And so I just want to touch on it uh, this morning just a little bit. That, that the Almighty God, as we, as we speak of it, and Scripture speaks of it in Scripture, that the Almighty God was in Christ Jesus. If we can just start with some very elementary truths today, to build upon the, the subject matter of the Godhead. It's first and primary to understand that the Scripture uh, relates to you and I that God is an invisible spirit. God is an invisible spirit that cannot, has not ever been seen by the human eye per se except through the manifestation of the man Christ Jesus or any other way that he wished to manifest himself. The Bible says in John 4 and verse 24, this is Jesus meeting with the woman at the well uh, wishing to give her water to drink that she would never thirst again. She basically lets him know that her fathers had worshipped in this mountain in which they were and uh, he tells her that there's going to come an hour where the Father's going to desire some true worshipers that will worship him in spirit and in truth, and that the Father would seek such to worship him. And he follows that up by saying in John 4, 24, God is a spirit. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. That's what the English translation of our Bibles say. In the Greek, the little word there, A, is not there. It's just that God is spirit. Not meaning that God is one of many spirits or He is spirit. He is spirit. Amen. The Bible also tells us in 1 Timothy chapter number 1, and uh, if it seems like I'm not getting straight to a verse, it's because I want to also turn there. Uh, our back screen is virtually completely out, so I can't just lift up my eyes and see the Scriptures off of that today. But First Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 17. So uh, it, though what that does is give you time to get there as well because I'm turning there at the same time. First Timothy 1 and verse 17, the Bible states these words, Now unto the King eternal, that's speaking of our God, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Again, Scripture once again attributes to this God who is the King eternal as being one that is invisible. The Bible also says in 1 John uh, chapter number 4 and verse number 12, the Bible states these words concerning our God, no man hath seen God 
at any time. We love one another. God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. No man hath seen God at any time. As a matter of fact, we read in the Old Testament, no man has seen his face and, and would be able to live. If someone ever said, and there's the notions of that in Scripture, that uh, how is it that we could see the face of God and prevail, what they seen was a manifestation of God. They seen a manifestation of God. God chose to reveal himself in some way, in some fashion where he could be seen by the eyes of men. So God is an invisible spirit. That is first and foremost in our lives. But God also, his full being, his full being, his full essence of all he is and what he is is really beyond the comprehension of us. And I believe there would be people that would be able to agree with that because you said in your ordinary lives and you are just awed by God, awed by what God can do or what many times what he chooses not to do. We're kind of baffled about this God. It's beyond man's understanding. The Bible says in Romans 11 and verse number 33 starting, the Bible says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? Who, who, who counseled God? Uh, we all have our individual people that we uh, bank things off of as a sounding board and get some information and counsel from. But who has counseled God? No one counseled God. The Bible says he does all things after the counsel of his own will. He does all things after the counsel of his own will. And so uh, to be able to fully understand that the breadth and the width and the depth of God is an impossibility on this side of glory, impossibility on this side of heaven. Thank goodness that whenever the trump of God sounds that that spirit of Christ dwells in us that will be changed and will come to a place that we, we will know him as he is. And, and uh, you know, many times people say, whenever I get to heaven, I'm going to ask this, this, and this. You're not going to ask anything. Because the moment that you have that change, you get to heaven, you're going to know what he knew. You're not going to have to ask anything. You're going to know. In that instant, in that moment, uh, those things are going to be available unto you. We will be as he is. Amen. And so concerning God, we must try not to define God's person, his character, or his nature uh, through then our own thoughts, our own ideas, our own assumptions, Amen. But God really must be understood based upon the witness that he has, and that's the witness that we hold in our hands, the witness of his word. It must be understood through his word, the witness of the word, the witness of the Bible. Isaiah says in Isaiah 55 in verse number 8, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is why. I know it's hard. I, I know uh, this seems to be a very simple verse to apply to life. But this is the reason why we sometimes say God doesn't make sense. Because to humanity, that is exactly right. That is exactly the truth. His ways above ours, his thoughts above ours. There's some times that God is not going to make sense to you. That's difficult to swallow at particular junctures in the road in our life. But there's just going to be some times you're not going to understand God, nor could we. 
even if it began to try to be explained to you, you wouldn't get it. Because it's God. Amen. His ways are higher. He's grander. He's mightier. Jeremiah 24 and verse 7. Or not 24, 30. John 5, 39. The Bible says, search the scriptures. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Search the scriptures. For in them ye think or you realize ye have eternal life. And they, he's referring back to the scriptures, are they which testify of me. So Christ is telling them, saying, you want to learn of me? You want to know about me? He says, then look at the book that I provided. Look at my word. Look at my scriptures. Because from Genesis to Revelation, you will find there are hints and there are paragraphs and there are phrases. And it is all, in essence, speaking about me. Talking about me and my relationship with humanity, their faults and failures, and my successes and my uh, ability to stoop to where they are, to help them out of where they are. He says, so search the scriptures because they testify about me. And so our understanding of God needs to be gleaned from the word of God. Amen. God wrote this letter to all of us. 66 books that he has shared with us. And in the process of doing so, he has given us glimpses and understanding concerning himself of who he is, what he is, what he has the capability to do in our individual lives. And so when we begin to think about people's different viewpoints of God, different viewpoints of God, there are those who uh, are atheists that believe there is no God. Don't believe there is no God. And the Bible says in Psalms 53 and 1, there's a phrase there that says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So one viewpoint of God is the atheist that says there is no God. Another viewpoint of God is that which is called the agnostic. You may have heard that term before, the agnostic. The agnostic believe that God is unknown or unknowable. The Bible says in Isaiah 43 and 10, he says, Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servants whom I have chosen, that ye may know, he says, and believe me. Now here God is just telling his people that it is quite possible to know him. And not only know him, but believe him and understand that I am he before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. He restates again. We're just going through scriptures. We're just learning about God through scriptures today. Jeremiah 24 and 7. He says that I will give them a heart to know. Everybody say no. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return unto me with their whole heart. He said I will give them a heart. To know me, to know me, to know God. But the agnostic is with the belief that they cannot know God. And God says, you can know me. Then there's the pantheism. That is the belief that God is natural. Or God is the force of the universe. God is the force from the rock, the force in the river. And he is in a certain essence. But believing that he is just nature. That God is just nature. It doesn't go anything beyond nature. God is nature. The Bible says, though, in Deuteronomy chapter number 4, Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter number 4 in verse number 15, and I am turning there as you are turning there. The Bible states these words, verse 15. And remember 
that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt. In that the Lord thy God brought thee out of hence, thence through a mighty hand and by a stretched out arm. Therefore, I'm, I'm in the wrong one. One chapter, I was going to say that didn't sound right. Take ye therefore, take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves. For ye saw no manner of similitude on the day that the Lord spake unto you in Horeb out of the midst of the fire. All right? Lest ye corrupt yourselves and make you a graven image, the similitude of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth. Look, the likeness of any beast that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged fowl that flyeth in the air, the likeness of anything that creepeth on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the waters beneath the earth. And lest thou lift up thine eyes into the heaven when thou seest the sun, look, and the moon, and the stars, and even all the host of heaven, shouldest be driven to worship them, creation, nature, and serve them, which the Lord thy God divideth into the nations and to the whole earth, but the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto him a people of inheritance as ye are this day. Now look, God says, God says you all are making yourself images, making fish images, making these different animal images, making, worshiping the sun, the moon, the star. You're worshiping all creation. The Bible speaks in Romans 1 that the people that would come to a place that they would worship what God created more than the one who created them says you got everything wrong you you're worshiping the gift then more than you are the giver creation nature a gift from god he said but more than the giver the creator you know that hasn't changed much in reality people still get sucked into that they'll worship their healing more than they do the healer they'll worship the finances that come into life more than they do the financial blesser and so it's very easy to get that table turned around. He says in verse 21, though, furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swear that I should not go over Jordan, that I should not go into that good land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not go over Jordan, but ye shall go over and possess that good land and take heed unto yourselves, lest ye forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make you a graven image. He said, don't do that. Or the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire. Even a jealous, even a jealous God. Amen. He's a jealous God. He doesn't want us to try to take anything else to supersede him. Because the, the reality is there is nothing that compares to him. There is nothing that is like him. There's not anything any remotely similar to him. It's a slap in the face of God thinking that you'll give honor, worship, and glory to something that is, doesn't even compare. Doesn't even compare, amen, to our God. So that, that pantheism, worshiping just nature, sun, moon, stars, animals, so on and so forth. Then there's polytheism, and that is the belief in many gods. The belief that more than one God actually exists. The Bible says in Psalms 96 and 5, and I'm just going to snag a, a phrase out of there. The Bible says, Psalms 96 and 5, for all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. He says in 1 Corinthians 8 and 4, again, just snagging a phrase out of this verse, 1 Corinthians 8 and 4, we know that an, an idol is nothing in the world and that there is none other God but one. There is none other God 
but one. Amen. Now there is monotheism. Mono meaning one. Monotheism. The belief that there is but one God. One God. Now, Brother Zach, you don't, or Sister Ron, you don't even have to keep up with me here, okay? Because we're, we're going to run, all right? There is but one God. The good scriptures, if you're writing down, feel free. You ain't going to turn to all these. Amen. Deuteronomy 4 and 6. Hear, O Israel, what? The Lord, our God, is one Lord. Deuteronomy 4, 35. Unto thee it was shewed that thou mightest know that the Lord, he is God. There is none else beside him. Isaiah, Isaiah chapters 43, 44, and 45, tremendous, tremendous chapters, even 46, tremendous chapters on the oneness of God. He says, Isaiah 43 and 10, ye are my witness, saith the Lord, look a little further, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he, and before me there was no God form, neither shall there be after me. Amen, I love that. Isaiah 44, verses 6 and 8, thus saith the Lord, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Is there a God beside me? Yea, there is no God. I know not any. I know not any. Isaiah 45, verses 21 and 22. Uh, just plucking some phrases here. Who have, who have declared this from ancient time? Have not I the Lord, and there is no God else beside me, a just God and Savior? There is none beside me. Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Isaiah 46 and 9. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, Malachi 2.10, have we not all one Father? Have we not one God created us? Ephesians 4.6, there is one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in you all. James 2.19, thou believest that there is one God, thou dost well. The devils also believe and tremble. Mm-hmm. Unequivocally, unequivocally, there is a God that can be known, that goes beyond the force of nature, that is one God in existence. Someone say amen. Hallelujah. One God. One, one, one. One God. The Old Testament, the Old Testament designation of God, the Old Testament designation of God, God revealed himself through the name You've heard of this before, the, the YHWH, Yahweh. He revealed himself through the Old Testament designation of Yahweh, YHWH. That's our, our, our English rendering, if you will, uh, of the Hebrew, of the constants, those four constants of the Hebrew that represent the name of God. Amen. And that, that pronunciation, as I said, uh, was not totally certain because they weren't even to breathe the name other God in the Old Testament. They didn't want to take it in vain. They didn't want to do it dishonor. And so many times they would not even speak his name. It was just so sacred. And so when the vows of a word by the name of Adonai that we know to be Lord. Adonai is Hebrew for Lord. Whenever, whenever they took the vows of Adonai and they attached it to the constants of the YHWH, that's where we would get our Yahweh or the word even Jehovah would be a result. You all have heard Jehovah, all those Jehovah, Jireh, Jehovah, you know, so on and so forth. That was the names, the designation of the name of God. 
Amen. That YHWH, it's associated with a Hebrew verb which means to exist or to become. In other words, it refers to God being the self-existent one. He just exists. It's not that he had a beginning or that he has an ending, but that he just is. God just is. That's the reason why whenever we read uh, the translation of Yahweh or Jehovah, whenever Moses is going to be sent back to Egypt to be a deliverance for the Lord's people, and he says, God, if I go back, they're going to want to know who is it that sent me? Who is it that, I mean, I'm coming in whose name? What power or authority do I got? I'm Moses, you know. Uh, what, what name should I tell them? He says, tell them that I am that I am have sent you unto them. That was the Yahweh or the Jehovah. Tell them that I am that I am has sent me unto you. I am have come. Amen. And so when we look at the name Jehovah or the YHWH, it's usually translated in the Old Testament. Have you ever seen the Old Testament, the word Lord, and it's all capital letters? See that a lot, don't you? And it's particularly in the King James Bible. Let me specify. In the King James Bible, a lot of times in the Old Testament, you see the word Lord in all capital letters. Well, what that's denoting in your King James Bible is that is that, that des- Old Testament designation of God, that Yahweh or that Jehovah. They put it in all capital letters to denote it from the other Hebrew words that are used for God in the Old Testament as well. So that's that Yahweh, that covenant name, that, that the Jehovah, that covenant name. And, you know, there's something else very interesting about, about this. And uh, let me just very quickly uh, share it with you. The YHWH, that, that's his name. No, no vowels could hardly even be pronounced because of, because of its uh, uh, sacredness. And they wouldn't hardly even say it uh, because of its sacredness. But since that is the case, that's in English, YHWH. Hebrew, of course, is written the other direction. So you're talking about HWHY, okay, in Hebrew. If you go back, from modern-day Hebrew, you go back, there was an older type of Hebrew that was called Paleo-Hebrew, and it, it gave symbols. It, it had symbols, and I did this a long time ago, Paleo-Hebrew, did corn in the crib. That was a Christmas message or something like that many years ago. You probably already forgot about it. That's okay. But I don't even have that up there. But, but the symbols of this Paleo-Hebrew, it gives an individual symbol, the H is being very similar, but not, not the same structure. Here's what I get to. The Paleo-Hebrew, the meaning of the symbols were this. Now, this was the designation for the Old Testament name of God. The, the meaning of the Paleo-symbols are this. The, the H, what we would know in English as the H, behold, the W, nail, H, behold, the last Paleo-symbol, hand. Behold, nail, behold, hand. What did Jesus in the New Testament tell Thomas whenever he had doubts in his mind about whether or not this was the Christ or whether or not this is the one that resurrected? He said, behold the nail prints in my hands. Isn't it interesting that the Old Testament designation of the name of God in the Old Testament in the old-fashioned Paleo-Hebrew, the symbols behold nail, behold hand, is... Now we see in Jesus the one with the nail prints in his hands. There's not a separation between those two. It's because the God of the Old Testament has become the Jesus Christ of the New Testament. Amen. And so with that being said, we go on just a little further. And so we have this Jehovah, Jehovah, which many times is translated as I am. And we see that over and over again in the word of the Lord. 
Amen. And so today, where they couldn't speak it, we speak the name of God. We, speak, we say Jesus very, very freely. But in the Old Testament, let's consider some of those Old Testament names or, or things that they attributed to God. Remember Jehovah Jireh? Huh? The, the Lord, my provider, right? Jehovah Ropha, Je, the Lord, my healer. Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner. Jehovah Kadesh, the Lord, my sanctification. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, my peace. Jehovah Elon, the Lord, most high. Jehovah Roi, the Lord, my shepherd. Jehovah Tiskanu, the Lord, my righteousness. Jehovah Shama, the Lord is there. Everybody say, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. Now, there is another Old Testament Hebrew word that was used for God. It was Elohim. Elohim. It's used more than 2,500 times. Elohim is not a name, more so it is a title. Interesting thing about Elohim is Elohim is plural. It's, it's the plural of the word El, which means God, Elohim. And what many go to is Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 27, where the Bible says, so God, that's Elohim, created man in his own image, in the image of God, Elohim, created he, him, male and female, created he, them. You get a lot of static from Genesis 26, 27, and such concerning the multiplicity, the multiplicity, if you will, of God. So the word that is for God there in Genesis is Elohim, and it is plural. Now, this is just food for thought. This is, you may not even care about this. But plurality or singularity in Hebrew is determined not by the noun, but by the verb, meaning that if the verb is singular, then the noun is meant in the singular form. So although the word for God is Elohim, which is plural, the verbs created and the verbs make are both singular, which means we're not talking about a multiplicity of gods. We're talking about just God. The only reason why the word Elohim, which is a plural, is used is because it's speaking about the plurality of the characteristics of God. Because we know through Scripture, God is what? God's love, God's light, God's holy, God's mercy, God's patient, God's gentle. We have scriptures for all this. God's righteous, God's, God's perfect, God's just, God's faithful, God's true. And so the reason why it used that, that word Elohim being plural is because of the plurality of the characteristics of God. Because there's so much of God, amen, that he is love and joy and peace and love, all these different things that he is that we can't just sum it up in, the, in a word within itself. So we're going to use the plural, the plural aspect of God just to show his many faceted attributes and characteristics. But we're talking about one God because the verb is singular. And in Hebrew, the the verb always denotes whether it's singularity or plurality. And in the Old Testament Hebrew, the word create and the word made are both singular. Does everybody follow that? We get all three words denoting God in Hebrews 5.9. Can you put that back up there? Hebrews 5.9. I, the Lord, see the capital letters, L-O-R-D. I, the Lord, Yahweh, your God, the Hebrew word Elohim, 
am a jealous God. The singular L. All three of these denoted in just one, one verse of Scripture. Now, in the Old Testament, God revealed himself at times. He did. God revealed himself at times in different forms and different manifestations. God appeared to Abraham in the form of a man in the book of Genesis. He, he actually he revealed himself to Abraham. God even appeared unto Moses in the form of a burning bush on the backside of the dead. Some type of manifestation that God gave himself over unto Moses. God appeared unto the elders on the mount of God, Mount Horeb. God appeared unto Isaiah the prophet in the vision. He said, in the, king, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and his strength of God is invisible but in some major way he somehow uh, revealed himself unto Isaiah but all of those are just temporary all of those are just temporary expressions of this invisible God because God is a spirit and no man has seen him but maybe a manifestation of him but that invisible God manifested him also himself in the New Testament Scripture. He revealed himself and he made himself visible to those in the New Testament Scripture in the flesh of Jesus Christ. God robed himself in flesh and became a man. Matthew 1, 23 speaks to us that, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which being interpreted is God, that one God, God with us. Isaiah spoke of it when he spoke of the uh, servant in Isaiah 9 and 6 and spoke of the virgin. He said, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Colossians 1 and 15, speaking of Jesus Christ, who is the image or the visible form of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? John 14 and 9, Jesus said unto him, Have I been so long time with you? Ye hast thou, yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me, I've seen the Father. How sayest thou then, shew us the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? If you've seen me, Jesus is saying, you have seen the Father. You have seen God. When you've seen me, you've seen God. Can someone say amen? Now, lo, we started with this verse of 1 Timothy 3.16. Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Look what the Bible says. The Bible says God. Everybody say God. It says God. Now, look at the list that it's talking about God. God. Manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received of God. God. So it says God was, right? So we ask ourselves the question after each of these. Who was this fleshly manifestation? Who was this fleshly manifestation? If you will, if you'll just turn with me, or if they can get it, John 1, 14. John 1, 14, great verse of Scripture. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten. Who was the only begotten of the Father? 
Who? Jesus Christ, right? Who? We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. We beheld him as, the only, as Jesus Christ. Who was the fleshly manifestation? According to John 1, 14, Jesus Christ. But also, if we go to 1 John, I believe I've already read this to you as well, but 1 John chapter number 4 and verse number 2, the Bible states these words, 1 John 4, verse number 2, Hereby know, I haven't read this, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confess, confesseth that Jesus Christ, look, is come in what? The flesh is of God. Now, interesting. Timothy says, God was manifested in the flesh. These other scriptures tell me that Jesus Christ was the one manifested in the flesh. You know what? Timothy's doing us a grand favor here, letting us know that Jesus Christ was, in fact, God. That God was in, as, for, as, as our starting scripture this morning, there in, in, in 2 Corinthians 5.19, that God was in Christ. Look, if you will, then at the next phrase in our scripture in Timothy as well. Who was justified in the spirit, Acts 3.14, we've already went through this in our uh, Acts study on Wednesday nights, but Acts 3 and verse number 14, the Bible says, but ye denied the Holy One and the just, you see that, and the just, and desired a murder to be granted unto you, just, simplified form of justified. Speaking about Jesus Christ, which was the Holy One that they murdered, that they crucified. He said, you've already denied the just or the justified. That's Jesus Christ. If you don't like that one, then let's go to 1 Peter 3, 18. 1 Peter 3, verse number 18. The Bible states these words. For Christ also hath suffered once for sins, the just, speaking of Christ, for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, who was justified in the Spirit, who was the just, who was the justified. Jesus Christ, Timothy says, God was justified in the Spirit. There is not a contradiction here. It's because God was in Christ, who was seen of angels. Luke 22 and verse number 43. The Gospel of Luke 22 and verse number 43. And if I jump over in the wrong chapter, y'all just start laughing at me and I'll know I'm in the wrong place, all right? Luke 22 and verse 43, the Bible says, And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Do you remember this? He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed great drops of blood as though it went to the ground. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. How in the world can Jesus do that? He's praying to the divine nature of himself. The human nature is praying to the divine nature. The human nature didn't want to die. Human nature didn't want to die. But the will of the divine nature is that he had to die. He says, so let all this just pass from me. And the Bible says, after that, there appeared an angel unto who? Unto Jesus Christ from heaven, strengthening him. Amen. He was seen of angels. You don't like that one? Go to John chapter number 1. John, St. John, John chapter number 1 and verse number 51. The Bible states these words. And he saith unto them, him rather, Verily, verily, I say unto you, 
Hereafter ye shall see heaven open up and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Seen of angels. Who was seen of angels then? That was Jesus. Red letter edition Bible in verse 51 speaking. Who, who, who in the world was seen of angels? Well, in Luke, it was Jesus Christ. Here in John, it was Jesus Christ. Timothy said it was God because God was in Christ. Amen. God was in Christ. So who preached to the Gentiles? Is everybody doing all, Is this okay? Is everybody all right with this? If you're not, you're leaving that. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I don't want to be up here talking to myself. <laughs> yeah. Who was it that preached to the Gentiles? Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. And verse number 8. The Bible states these words. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is the, this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Who was preaching to the Gentiles? Christ. Jesus Christ. You can find it again in 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 7. 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 7. If you guys don't know where the books of the Bible are, you're very frustrated this morning. 1 Timothy 2. <laughs> and if you ever have a problem with that, usually in the front of your Bible is... Uh, a, a kind of an index that shows you what page number such and such a book of the Bible is on. First Timothy 2 and verse number 7. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher, an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and, and verity. He says, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. I'm a teacher of the Gentiles, but I speak the truth in Christ. So if he speaks the truth in Christ and he's a teacher of the Gentiles, he's speaking Christ to the Gentiles. Amen. So who is being, who is being preached to the Gentiles? Jesus Christ. Timothy said though in 1 Timothy 3, 16, God was. Because there is. You, you see what I'm getting at here? Do you, I can go through the rest of this. Who was believed on the world, on, in the world? Jesus Christ. I will just do it for uh, denotation. You can see it in John eleven twenty seven, 27. John 12, 46. Acts 11, verses 17 through 18. That it speaks of Jesus Christ. Who was received up into glory? Jesus Christ. You can read it in Mark 16, 19. And Acts 1 and verse number 9. So when we read 1 Timothy 3, 16. We see that obviously the subject of all these is Christ Jesus. Yet Paul writing his letter to Timothy, Timothy says it was God. And so the scripture reveals that Jesus Christ is nothing than what Timothy said or Paul said to Timothy. It was God is manifested in the flesh. The invisible God came in a visible form through the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. And all of the Godhead, all of the divinity is found in Jesus Christ. He's not, he's not a God. Listen to my words very carefully. Jesus Christ is not a God or a portion of God. He is the fullness and completeness of God in one man, Christ Jesus. The Bible says, Colossians 2, verses 8 through 9, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in him who Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He set us up, folks. He set us up. 
Because he's telling us all this happens in Christ Jesus. The fullness of the Godhead dwells in Christ Jesus bodily. But right before that, he's saying, but wait a minute. Do not be deceived. Do not be fooled by people's philosophy and vain deceit and traditions of men that try to tell you otherwise. Amen. And so that's what we're up against today. Philosophy, vain deceit, and the traditions of men that's trying to tell you, no, that's not the case. It is the case. He even just prefaced it with that. For in him, Christ Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so whenever we look at Jesus Christ, we could plainly see God because Christ was the embodiment of everything that God was, is, shall be. The Bible says in John, I, I need to shut up, don't I? Let me just come to a close. Got a baby to dedicate. When we look at Jesus Christ, we can see God. John 14, verses 7 through 9. John 14, verses 7 through 9. I'll, I'll end with, with, with just a few more verses here. You cannot leave this morning and say you did not get any Bible. John 14, verses 7. This is truly Bible study here this morning. I guarantee you. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, if ye had known me, ye should have known my Father also. Jesus says that. And from henceforth, Ye know him and have seen him. Well, Philip saith unto him, Lord, shew us the Father, and it sufficeth us. There it is. Jesus saying to him, Have I been so long time with you, yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me, Christ says, hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, shew us the Father? Christ said, you, you, You've known me, you should have known my Father. As a matter of fact, you do know my Father, and you've seen him because you see me. My ever common statement is all of Jesus you'll ever see is in the man Christ Jesus. That's all of him you'll ever see is the one Christ Jesus. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4 verses 3 through 6. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 3 through 6. And I'm hurrying. There's a lot of things to do today. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 3 through 6. The Bible says, but if our gospel be hid... It is hid to them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. Who, look at it. Who is the image of God? Christ. Who is the image of God? Should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves your servants for Jesus sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It, the God who commanded light to shine out, the God who, create, who caused creation to come about, the God who separated the darkness from the light, that God, that God, it, it's given light in the knowledge of the glory of the face of Jesus. That God that did all that is the same God that we see in the brilliance of the face of Christ Jesus. That creator is the same one that we see in the brilliance of the face of Christ Jesus. Look now, just again, uh, 1 John 1, verses 1 through 2. 1 John 1, verses 1 through 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and shew unto you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. 
Speaking of Christ. Speaking of Christ. Amen. We looked upon him. We handled him. The life we know was manifested through him. We've seen it. We have bore witness to it. Amen. What we have bore witness to is the eternal life. The eternal life. Well, who's the eternal? God's eternal. No beginning of days, no ending of days. He is eternal. But we witness the eternal life in Christ Jesus. Yeah. In Christ Jesus. Amen. And I'll close with this. And I'm hastening. John 20, verses 26 through 28. Here's the episode with Thomas. And after eight days again, his disciples were within. And Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, Jesus, look, Thomas answered and said unto Jesus, My Lord and my God. And there was a moment of revelation for Thomas at that moment. While he's putting his hands in the wounds of Jesus Christ, he says, My Lord and my... Thomas just understood in a moment that this is God manifested in the flesh that's been walking among us, teaching us by seashores under green trees and done all these miracles. This is God. Amen. That's just a little bit. Folks, we could talk about the Godhead for go do a series for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks about that. But that's just a little inroad into the God here this morning. God was in Christ. Fully man, fully God. As a man, he suffered hunger, thirst, pain, sorrow, just like you and I did. But as God, he caused the waters to calm upon the sea. Huh? The lame to walk, right? Spoke to the things that are not as though they were. Amen. Hallelujah. This morning, I'm going to change gears here today. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.